Hello, I'm Robert T. Smith, host of Support Your Local Podcast. I want to take a moment to remind you to hit that fast forward button. That is, unless you want to hear about something good being done. Anyone who knows me knows that I love bowling. In 2016, I founded the Smith Family Bowling Scholarship Foundation, intended to honor my father's hard work and dedication to community service and award scholarships to youth bowlers throughout the nation. To date, we've awarded well over $15,000 in scholarships. If you are a bowler, know a bowler, have ever seen a bowler, or heard about anyone who has ever seen a video of a bowler, I'd love for you to help promote the SFBSF and its mission. Please go to sfbsf.com and see what we're all about. While you're there, please consider hitting that donate button and helping us make a brighter future for our youth. Again, that's sfbsf.com. Thank you for your time. I now declare the quick draw competition open. Howdy, everyone. Pull up a chair, kick up your boots, and take a sip on a nice cold brew. It's the Quick in the Pod, the show on the Support Your Local Podcast Network, where we take a look at the 1995 Sam Raimi Western classic, The Quick and the Dead, one scene at a time. I am your host, as always, Robert Smith, coming to you from beautiful Tombstone. Yes, that one. Today, we are going to be taking a look at Chapter 16, Herod versus Cantrell. Uh, but before we jump into that, I hear some some spurs clicking out on the boardwalk. There's a shadowy figure outside the batwing doors, and holy shit, it's Shizzy! Hey. Shizzy! <laughs> What's happening? What's going on, Shiz? Last time I saw you, the Federalians were right on your tail. Yep, yep, yep. They, uh, I got out somehow. Well, that's good. That's, that's good. good. You don't want to know what I had to do. We'll just hey, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. <laughs> What's up? How are not, you? Not, I'm doing great, man. Great to have you back. As as all of you guys know from previous episodes, we have Shizzy, my uh, my lifetime buddy back from Ohio. Uh, Shizmo, we are going to take a look at... Uh, oh, I actually said chapter 16. It's chapter 17. I'm sorry. I didn't look at my notes. Chapter 17, Cantrell versus Herod. Uh, are you ready to uh, get into this? Oh, yeah. All right. Absolutely. As we always do, before we take a look at our chapter, we are going to do a quick little deep dive. It's probably not going to be so quick, given the subject matter, of one of our movers and shakers, one of our actors, one of our our key people in regards to making this movie. Today, I specifically am giddy like a schoolgirl. You should check out how hard these nipples are. We get to talk about Sam fucking Ramy and I get to do it with the man that introduced me to Sam Ramy and all his glory, Shizzy. This is super super exciting in a episode or in a segment that I like to call "Put My Damn Name on the Board." Put my damn name up. All right, we are here for "Put My Name on the Board," and today is a great one. Uh, you know, given the the just the outrageous cast that we have in this movie. Uh, I've looked forward to a lot of these characters and a lot of these people and deep diving on those. But today, today is the day. Today is the greatest day of my life. 
I get to talk about Sam Raimi with Shizmo. Shizzy, let's let's jump in, buddy. Absolutely. All right. So uh, obviously, Sam Raimi. For those of you that don't know, he is the director of this movie. Um, if you don't know who Sam Raimi is, I'm sure once I go through a little bit of his filmography, uh, you'll get a little bit better uh, understanding. You'll probably go, oh, it's that guy. Um, started out in film school uh, back in 1977. He made a short little movie called It's Murder. Uh, it was his film project for his school. Got a couple of his friends together. They threw together a little bit of money. Was able to make a short movie called It's Murder. Um, really, if you've never seen it, it is really responsible for the invention and the innovation that Sam Raimi is known for in regards to various uh, cinema photography techniques. You know, you have the the It's Murder board, which is the 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 plywood, uh, the fake boards that he's always hitting people over the head. Usually Bruce Campbell in regards to who's getting hit over the head. Um, but it was very much the gateway for him to be able to create what is easily one of the most iconic horror movies of all time. One of which that's very, very relevant, not to date this podcast. We'll get into that in a second. But he is the director and creator and executive producer and writer of The Evil Dead. And I'm not talking about the one from a couple years ago. I'm talking about the granddaddy of them all, 1981's The Evil Dead, starring Bruce Campbell and his various friends. The Probably one of the greatest movies ever made, <laughs> you know, I mean, especially low budget anyways, such a good one. Um, and the, uh, the evil dead you were talking about, um, was actually 10 years ago. Now the, the oh, remake quote unquote, like which stands on its own legs. It really does. I thought it was pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't, I don't fault that movie at all. Absolutely. I can't believe that it was, it was made 10 years ago though. It doesn't like, time flies. Well, I mean, in regards to the time frame, 1981, like, we were not born when the Evil Dead came into existence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, just spoiler for our ages, that's a year older than I am. And that's nuts that it's still so kind of strewn throughout the, the cult personality of, of, of the world. And you, you touched on it being one of the better low-budget movies of all time. You know, everybody hearkens, and rightfully so, not knocking them, but everybody hearkens on like the Tarantinos and the, the Kevin Smith making clerks on a shoestring budget. The Evil Dead was literally made for like $3.87. You know, if you, if you want to hear a great story on how to get a low-budget movie made like that, um, check out Bruce Campbell's autobiography, If Chins Could Kill. I definitely highly recommend that book. I think I've mentioned it a couple times uh, throughout the podcast, but he goes into great detail. of These guys essentially sold off everything that they had, and they, for lack of a better term, they hustled a, bun a group of dentists to <laughs> throw money into the pot to get this made. And they just grouped up a bunch of their, their college friends. They hiked it up into the, the woods in the cabin, and they just shot stuff. And, you know, we, I spoke earlier about the, the innovation that Sam Raimi came up with. A lot of these shots and a lot of these effects and things like that, they were made out of necessity. They literally did not have the money to do them correctly. So they had to come up with ideas of, 
you know, nailing a camera to a board and then just chasing the actor around with that board to get the crazy swooping effects. The, the, the blood uh, was literally just caro syrup um, everywhere that uh, if you go to the cabin, I, I, I think that they finally tore the cabin down. But if you go to the cabin up until it got tore down, like that, that caro syrup still strewn across the walls because they didn't know how to get it out because they weren't thinking about the after effects. They just needed cheap blood and how to make it. <laughs> Um, but so the Evil Dead kind of puts uh, him a little bit on the on the map. Uh, Nineteen eighty seven, he comes back with Evil Dead two, and this is the fun fact where I get to to bring Shizzy in. Uh, I, I spoke previously of you are obviously the the my gateway into cult films and to cheap horror and things like that. Uh, Evil Dead two is probably the first one that you had me watch. Uh, I distinctly remember going into Hollywood video. Yes, that used to be a thing. Um, we would go to the, the the cult classics wall and there was Evil Dead 2 on, on VHS. And, and for the kids out there, VHS was a video cassette that we used to watch movies on before DVDs. Please be uh, kind to rewind. <laughs> Please be kind to rewind. Uh, for kids that are a little bit younger than that, DVDs were little discs that we had movies on before we had <laughs> streaming. So... We're going back a couple uh, a couple years, but I, I remember you had me watch Evil Dead 2 first, and I distinctly remember asking, why am I watching the, the second one first? Because the first one's right there. It's sitting right next to it on the wall. And you just kind of told me, it's like, this will get you into it. Don't, don't, we'll, we'll watch the first one too, but we're going to start with the second one. And uh, this was my 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 loss of my Sam Raimi virginity in, in regards to this. You know, it's it was ridiculous. It was crazy. It was funny. Uh the deer laugh the deer head laughing is still right. one of the crazy yeah, when he starts it, when he starts using it, it's so it's so good. And then yeah, that the goofy looking deer head just always gets me. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, that was that was the movie that kind of got me started. And then we we did go back and watch the the first one, and ultimately Army of Darkness that we'll talk about here in a second. But I I owe Shizzy everything in regards to my my Sam Raimi love because you started me with that movie. Yeah, um, I basically to me the Evil Dead is is sort of a remake or retelling of the first one with a bigger budget, but it was more. Mm -hmm. With more of a sense of humor, splat stick, they called it. Yeah. And um, whereas the first one is more of a straight up horror film, there's really no comedy in it. It's it's made to be unsettling. And that's what I love about the first one. And the, and the second one is definitely more fun and it has a bigger budget. And uh, the, the special effects are are pretty fun, you know, with all the the small ashes running around. You could definitely tell it was superimposed, but it just gives it that like more of a surreal quality to it. That it really, cause the events that are happening is they're insane. <laughs> definitely surreal. Absolutely. And, and you know, you say it's got a little bit bigger budget. Like it was still a shoestring budget. I mean, he still made wonders out of what he had but i would argue like if it wasn't for the the addition of the comedy and kind of the all-around 
hitting so many genres of the second one, I don't know that we would have the Sam Raimi that we have today because the first one was a pretty, like you said, it was, it was just a straight up horror film that could have easily fallen by the wayside with so many other 80s slashers. Um, but it definitely, yeah, his, his foot in the door of Hollywood was, was definitely Evil Dead 2, arguably for Bruce Campbell as well. I think that really put him on, on the map in regards to that as well. Um, 1990, he gets his first kind of chance at a, at a big movie, uh, the, the often forgotten, but, uh, I, not, not for me, um, Darkman. Uh, went on to have a couple sequels he wasn't involved in, but he was the the creator and the writer and the executive producer of Darkman, which was my introduction to one Mr. Liam Neeson. Yeah, Darkman. I I, I have all three Darkman movies on DVD <laughs> somewhere around here. Um, yeah, the first one with Liam Neeson. Um, it's Sam Raimi's... Uh, first superhero movie really i mean exactly didn't not very many people remember dark man really i guess but um it was an all right movie and it definitely has some of the hallmarks of, of sam raimi's uh, filmmaking um there's always one scene that stands out with like this like what i was talking about like the super imposed images um mm-hmm. It has been so long since I've seen this. I can't remember exactly what the context. I think he's like working on the his serum or whatever it is, like the he's his science projects, whatever. And then there's just these mm-hmm. different like things floating by, but it's meant to like portray like the time going by and just like all these different things. I don't know. It was just really interesting. And it's definitely, um, you know, if you've seen, you know, like especially evil dead or like two and army of darkness, there's, um, well, dark man came out before army of darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Actually that was the, that was the two years before, uh, we, we get the, the threequel uh, of army of darkness at dark. Darkman, I mean, coming out in 1990, you got to remember, kids, like, this is pre-Marvel. This, you know, we, we didn't have superhero movies that, to, to speak of. You know, we had, you know, uh, for Christ's sake, Batman 89 had just came out. So, like, we didn't even have the, the Burton version of a superhero movie. For him to kind of create a non entity you know this wasn't uh, an intellectual property of marvel this wasn't uh, something from dc this is something from from the creative mind of him and, and to be able to make a superhero movie when superhero movies weren't really a thing um was was pretty cool um but yeah so going into to 1992 as, as uh, uh shizzy mentioned that's that's when we hit army of darkness so this is when People are finally realizing, okay, this is Sam Raimi. This is what he does. This Evil Dead thing is this big cult hit. What happens if we throw a lot of money at it? And still by a lot of money, it's still relatively small by today's terms. But like this was the studios giving him a chance to, to kind of make things. But unfortunately, with more money also comes more studio involvement. So 
Uh, if anybody has ever walked down a, a, a DVD aisle or a movie aisle in the past 20 years, you've probably seen 18 different editions of Army of Darkness. I think, you know, just like Mario used to come with the, the Nintendo, I think every time you bought a DVD player, they used to get a copy of Army of Darkness for free. There were so many different editions and copies out there. Um, but that is... To, to where on the spectrum of Raimi you have complete horror in Evil Dead 1, you have the nice mix of horror and comedy in Evil Dead 2. I, I think they turned the dial all the way up to the comedy in regards to Army of Darkness. Oh, yeah, for sure. And uh, and then Bruce Campbell really leaning into his character just being a, such a dick. He's such a dick, like, in that movie. like. Um, but then that's, you know... It's he's still endearing though as as a character, um, for sure. You could definitely see his um, his development through the films. Um, you know, he was such a more of a kind of more like an innocent kind of sweet guy in the in the original, and then Evil mm -hmm. Dead Evil Dead Two is still kind of the same, but he had more of a more of a personality, I guess, right. even though you could consider evil dead two to kind of be a remake of evil dead one. Right. Sort of, I guess you could say, um, not in the ways of like today where it's like, Oh, it's not a remake. It's a reboot or whatever, you know, it's a requel. It's a requel. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. W would you go so far as to say that in army of darkness, he's an ash hole? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it he definitely leans into the the um the slapstick and, and the just over the top like zany um character. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and really it's it, 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 as we're going through his his filmography, you're seeing you're seeing these building blocks kind of build up to what he's going to be getting able to do. To where we're throwing him more and more money, and he's still able to do such great practical effects on a on a shoestring budget. That imagine what creative things he can come up with if he actually has something to to, to play with. And you know, it, here we go into 1995. We have the movie that we're talking about right now. We have the the quick and the dead, which, you know, when, when I, I tell you, Hey, let's watch a Western movie. Sam Raimi's not the director that you automatically come to, to mind with. Like I, I, I don't know. I, and truthfully, I didn't know it was a Sam Raimi movie. Even when I first saw it, it wasn't until years later that I discovered it. I went, Oh yeah, that's, this is 1000% a Raimi film. You see all the quick zooms in the, in the action and the swooping and the, just the, the, the style of the, the shots. And you go, this is 1000% a Sam Raimi movie, but when I was first watching it, I don't know that I could have identified that. Oh no. I think I may have even, um, watched the quick and the dead before I even discovered the evil dead. Um, cause I do remember, let's see, 95, I was like 12 right. and I think I discovered the evil dead a little bit later. Um, but I do remember the quick and the dead on pay-per-view as one thing the kids probably 
don't know about but I, even the well you you probably do because there's like you know you can on amazon you can you can you can rent streaming yeah yeah that's if anything that's the that's the one holdover <laughs> hey uh yeah it is you had to like did you have to like yeah we didn't have computers so you had to call like a 1-800 number <laughs> and order a movie uh from cable but yeah i do remember Watching the Quick and the Dead, this, um, my dad was a, is a fan of westerns, um, and uh, I remember watching it when I was young. Like you know, when it, when a movie would come out, it would be in theaters for a while, and then after the theatrical release, it would be on, um, you know, VHS and mm-hmm. pay per view. That's when I saw it first. I, I was on pay per view. And, of course, I didn't know anything about Sam Raimi, you know, like you said. And then years later, I revisited. I'm like, oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, it's It's definitely got the hallmarks of his uh, film, filmmaking style. Right. Yeah, it's it's dripping Raimi, definitely. So, 98? Okay. Oh, <laughs> no, sorry. Never mind. That was dumb. You can oh, oh, come on. <laughs> do it do it do it no i was just saying i was wondering what that was dripping <laughs> nice with with Ramy, you never know it's some sort of viscous liquid you never know yes uh 98 we have a simple plan 99 for love of the game uh, 2000, we have the gift, and then uh, what most people like. So we're we're did kind you of cross over a simple plan though. I did. I was hoping you wouldn't stop me on that one. I I have never seen a simple plan. I I have an I have an admission. Greatest actors of any generation, Bill Paxton. <sighs> oh, you know how we used to sing the praises of Bill Paxton. I, I I I do hold Bill Paxton dear dear to my heart. He's game over, man. I, you got a simple plan. I thought it's an effective uh, neo noirish uh, cr- uh, crime uh, movie. It's it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I I've seen it a few times, and I really like it. And I I was actually thinking about. Uh, this movie recently, and I'm like, I, I'm I've got to watch that one again. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna do that. I'm glad and we there heard. There you it. go. It's it, it's with the endorsement of Shizzy. I can't I, if it has Bill Paxton. I I have to say I I shamefully I have never seen it. I will I will remedy that as soon as I possibly can. But it was it was all in, in it was all to get and and uh, Bridget Fonda in it too. Oh, if it's got Bridget Fonda, I'd definitely check it out. Yes, and Billy Bob Thornton. So, yeah, definitely give that one a a, a look. I, I will give it a looky loo. But again, it was it was all to speed up to get to the the main event. the The reason that you know us non snob movie type people or ones that know the obscure horror references, uh, the one that most people are going to know Sam Raimi for, and they don't know who Sam Raimi is obviously for the movie, but they're going to know the movie. Um, the original Spider-Man, uh, Tobey Maguire, um, we're talking 2002. This was arguably the, the boom of the superhero movies. You know, we had, 
we had Blade at that point, which kind of put them on the map. But like when you're talking the the 1989 Batman, this is probably the follow up. Arguably, you know, this is this is the next big spike and what really kind of sent us all hurtling into superhero madness. I mean, they had Nickelback as the as the lead song for Christ's sakes. How can you top having Chad Krager singing "We Have a Hero Amongst Us"? That was um, the, that was him, him and the dude from Saliva. They did wet. Yeah, that song was huge. Two thousand. And I, I sadly know that I was working at Walmart in 2002 because we had that damn DVD playing in electronics on loop. And the, for those that remember the DVD, that song is the opening, is the, is the loop song. So I would sit there and stock uh, the paper goods, which was on the very next aisle, and have that earworm in my head for hours at, at, at a time. But, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but he's a spider uh, man yeah, he's a spider i don't get it it's not an but, eagle <laughs> but this is definitely like the epitome of hey this guy can do some really cool graphics and some really cool visuals and even some practical effects let's throw him a lot of money and see what he can do with this which not taking the bona fides away from from Sam Raimi. He was a huge comic book nerd. He was very integral in this even happening. Um, but this was definitely kind of his, I, I think his kind of peak um, was Spider-Man 1, Spider-Man 2, and just by association, um, Spider-Man 3. The less we say about that, the better probably. But uh, let us remember the good times. Let us remember the Tobey Maguires of, of 1 and 2. Now, um, um I was... Just uh, not to interrupt, but no, uh, it was just I've just noticed that um, it was the first film to reach a hundred million dollars in a single weekend. Yes, uh, based on a comic book, I think. Yes. Yeah, it it is it is literally the beginning of the the comic book boom. It was thanks, Anthony. No, <laughs> thanks yeah. for. All- Crappy Marvel films. No, it's not his fault. Fault, but um, yeah, he could, he couldn't possibly know that we would get fatigue from that. Marvel being the behemoth that it is at the box office now, he he definitely was integral to the beginnings of that. Yep, and it it'll come all back full circle here here shortly. Two thousand nine, Drag Me to Hell, uh, underrated. I think I think that is. For a PG-13 movie, I think that Raimi does some really, really cool stuff. I, I, I would argue as close, probably as close to his original Evil Dead roots as, he has, as he's been. Yeah, I, I watched that movie not too long ago because I, I saw it when it came out, like, well, sh- shortly after it came out. And then um, I thought it was fine. And then I watched it again. You know, get a fresh look at it, and um, yeah, I mean, it still holds up. It's pretty good, like you said. As a, it is PG thirteen, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah this, was, 
this was during the boom of like your Sinisters and your, your Babadooks and things like that, where they were doing the PG-13 to get more people in the theaters. And you, you kind of, you get left wanting for more because God damn it, it's Sam Raimi. You know, he can do more, but yeah, for, for those restraints, I, I think he pushed it as, as far as he could probably go. Oh yeah. And some of the PG-13 uh, films of the time were actually kind of good. Like uh, some of them they were kind of creepy, kind of scary. Mm-hmm. They could push the envelope a little bit, you know, showing some gross out gags and things like that, but without the uh, violence or even the strangeness of like the evil dead movies. Right. You know? But yeah, that was uh so pretty, uh, pretty entertaining, pretty, uh, horror light, but, uh, but still effective. I thought it was a pretty good movie. Absolutely. Uh, 2013, we won't talk much about Oz, the great and powerful. Um, <laughs> you know, I never saw that. I, I have, it's, it's, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. Um, it, it is the flip side of the coin in regards to what happens if you give Sam Raimi a budget. Um, when he goes full CGI, it's it's not it's not always it's not always good. Um, but in the in the interims of that, uh, we have him still being kind of pulled into uh, his old roots. So you know we have obviously uh, twenty thirteen the the Evil Dead remake. As you said, that's ten years old. That is just read ridiculous um but he's a part of you know he's producing the grudge he's producing boogeyman he's or boogeyman he's producing 30 days of night he's still involved very much in the the remake of poltergeist he's still very much involved in the genre that gave him uh his career essentially um but really kind of takes a step back on directing i i i think you know spider-man 3 for as much time and effort and energy as those big superhero projects, CGI heavy projects are, you know, it takes a lot out of your directors. And I think with it not being as successful as it could have been, and then he tries to do Drag Me to Hell, which wasn't very, I mean, it was a good movie again. It made its money, but it wasn't very successful. And then just getting kind of lambasted with Oz the Great and, and Powerful, you know, brother took a step back and just said, you know what? I, I have fuck you money. <laughs> Um, I'll let other people make the shit that I want to make and just sit back and and enjoy it, you know? Um, Yeah, the uh, um, things that he he produced as well, him and uh, Robert Tappert, they had their production company was pretty successful um, as far as television uh, work executive producers, you know, like uh, Xena, Warrior Princess, mm-hmm. uh, remember Mantis? <laughs> yep, Mantis. <laughs> yes, that was a pretty short-lived uh, show from like the mid-90s. But, um, yeah, so he definitely had uh, fuck you money <laughs> and uh, good investments and things of that nature. He, he he didn't he didn't have to keep slumming it like poor Bruce you know <laughs> yeah um, but yeah so the the one that you know for the for the young young kids that still don't know what the hell a Sam Raimi is uh, Sam Raimi is obviously the one that just last year uh, he made Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness um, 
so coming full circle with his comic book roots, he finally gets sucked into the the Marvel machine and and tries to create uh, you know as good a movie as he can given those parameters. You know, obviously, Marvel movies are very very formulaic. Um, there's a lot and lot and lot of oversight in regards to the studio. You know, they they're very very protective of their IPs. So there's only so much that you can do, but for as much hate as I saw for a lot of people in regards to that movie, I dug the hell out of that movie. Um, I did not particularly care for Dr. Strange one. Um, I actually prefer this one. Uh, that's probably one of the only Marvel films I actually enjoyed. I don't really watch Marvel films, but I liked Dr. Strange. Um, I haven't seen the multiverse of madness yet, but people that I've talked to said it was pretty good. Um, you have to check if if you're a Raimi head, you have to check it out. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I it, I've been meaning to. Don't get me wrong, um, but I just haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. See, for for a simple plan, I'll trade you Multiverse of Madness. So, a spoiler not not to spoil a movie that's already eight movies behind the the curve. You know, Scarlet Witch is the is the big bad in this movie, and. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I love me some Elizabeth Olsen. I can I can watch that all day, sir. Um, shout out to powerful, powerful Elizabeth Olsen. She scared the shit out of me <laughs> in this. You give her some raminess to do and a little bit of blood dripping down her face and she can be an evil dead character. Like this, this movie is definitely Raimi. You still have a lot of the classic techniques and it, it's kind of his return to form of like being able to, to show action and to show movement and keep enough things, um, uh, physical in, in regards to actually doing the, 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 the shot, um, or as opposed to being stuck in the CGI, but being able to augment it with CGI, just makes it that much greater. So yeah, if you've not watched Multiverse of Madness and you're a Raimi head, you definitely got to check it out because there's going to be a lot of stuff that you're going to sink your teeth into. Definitely. Awesome. Duly noted. Duly noted. Oh, why am I blanking on the word? What is the word? Practical. Practical. I was like, it starts with a P. So practical effects, things that he's actually shooting in camera as opposed to CGI. I don't know why I blanked on that. But anyways, all right. And uh, so that's that's pretty much where we're at with Sam Raimi. So very, very long career, very, very successful career. As we established, the man has fuck you money. Um, and he's been able to do what he loves his entire life. Again, check out Bruce Campbell's book, uh, If Chins Could Kill. You know, he has literally been paid a billion dollars to make movies with his friends and to occasionally beat the crap out of Bruce Campbell on screen just because he can. Who doesn't want to do that? <laughs> And did I don't know if we we didn't really talk about, but the the Ash versus Evil Dead series, absolutely, which he, he directed uh, at least one episode. Um, uh, it, it, that was such a fun show. Um, it's just a shame that they it got canceled after three seasons. Right. Um, but yeah, it, that is such an over the top, just classic. <laughs> horror television show. I, I love that show. It was so good. 
And it's it, it just goes to like, you know, like we said, 1981. We're talking 42 years ago, he made Evil Dead. It's still here today. Evil Dead Rise, and again, not to date this podcast, Evil Dead Rise just released like two weeks ago. It's still a hot intellectual property that just keeps going and going and going, even without his direct involvement. It's done pretty well at the box office too, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. For for a mid you know mid spring um, horror movie, it's it's doing very well. It's it's kicking the the, the Pope's Exorcist ass, I hope. Um, and it did run into the juggernaut of the Mario movie, but other than that, it's doing pretty good for an Evil Dead movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm actually reading about it. Well, it's debut finished second behind uh, Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. Powerful Mario. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, I can't wait to see that, actually. Yeah, it's still in the theaters, right? Yes. Yep. Yep, yep. I'm at... Yep, I'm getting I'm getting ready to go uh, this weekend and check it out. Hopefully, it's I, I've heard mixed bags. You know, I listen to a lot of movie review podcasts. Um, I, in fact, I is one, but um, it's it's getting some mixed bags on it. But I, for the most part, I can tell like it's the people that are ragging on it aren't really Evil Dead fans per se. You know, it's not they're they're not they're not seeing it for what it is. Yeah, neck beards. Move out of your mouth, face <laughs> me. Stupid critics. No, Stupid I'm probably gonna critics. go see it this week. Uh, as a matter of fact, now I think about it. You know. Yeah. So that was our our deep, deep, deep dive. I told you it wouldn't be brief. Uh, our deep, deep dive into Sam Raimi, our director of this movie. Uh, if you've not already, please. Take our advice and check out some of these movies that we talked about. You'll definitely see Raimi uh, strewn throughout the screen. He's splattering his seed all over the seed. That's what's dripping. Um, but it's, it, it reeks of Raiminess. Uh, but this has been, uh, as always, put my damn name up on the board. Add my name to the list. boy. All right, and we're back. Shizzy, uh, great talk about Mr. Sam Raimi. What do you say we talk about some of the best Raimi shots in the in the movie in our upcoming chapter, Chapter 17, Cantrell versus Herod? Yes, um, I feel like we could have made an entire podcast just talking about Sam Raimi and his films uh, and, and television shows. Um, I want to throw one more at you. The uh, what's the um, Adventures of Briscoe County Junior? Uh, Bruce Campbell. Campbell. That was actually my introduction to Bruce Campbell. As you said, you had you know this before the Evil Dead. That's where I knew Bruce Campbell from. Was Briscoe County Junior? I actually dug that show when I was a kid. But yeah, I loved that show. That was a good one. Um, I think I read I read an article recently where um. um that they they were talking about doing a reboot of Briscoe County Junior. Briscoe <laughs> County the Third, with like, you know, the the two main characters like sons meet up or something. I don't know. I, I it might have just been Bruce Campbell talking shit, but they or they might have actually been throwing the idea around. But that's like that would be cool. Oh, absolutely. But anyways. We're, we're ready for that. that. We're done. We're done with that segment. We're supposed to move yes. on to the next segment. <laughs> my my producers tell me we have to move on. We have to move on. 
Um, Shizmo, my, my very first line on the script for this chapter is, uh, we start our chapter, and I'm excited about this one, because it may be the ramiest Raimi to ever Raimi on this film. <laughs> and boy, does it, it live up to it. We, we start off with Herod and Cantrell. They're, they're both waiting on the, the clock to strike for their, their, uh, their duel. And um, so get back up on my high horse. Let's see if they wait for the, the, the clicking of the clock. Yeah, the, 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 the thing yeah, you, you, you've been harping on where it's like nobody wait because um, oh, Pat Hingle, he, did he say when it chimes, does the word chime come out of his mouth? I believe so. I, I, while, while you're talking, I will, I will pull out the script. Go ahead. I'd have to go back. But, um, so every time there's, there's a, you know, the, the, the showdown where the clock ticks, boom, and then they shoot. Wait, did you just say click, click, boom? No, it ticks. And then, oh, okay, <laughs> gotcha. but yeah, I should have, because then that would have been the second, uh, saliva reference randomly. <laughs> <laughs> Good old, uh. Early 2000s rock, man. But uh, um, so yeah, they. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I kind of lost my. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That was that was that was on me. But uh, it it never actually chimes, you know. It it clicks because you hear the little and then the crunk and then then you then you, you fire. So. I mean, if everybody was taken, if Pat Hingle did and say, indeed say that it, you do it on the chime, well, what if everybody, you know, actually did, heeded that advice and was waiting for the chime and it never actually chimes? So everybody's just standing around, you know, for like five minutes and like, well, and everybody just starts shuffling away to get bored. <laughs> Just slow. Does everybody look at their watches? Doop a doop a doo. Oh, uh, I guess I got some chores to do. Uh, now, yeah. But I, I, I do have a judge's ruling. Here we are. I have the script right here in front of me. And it does say, let's see. I walked away and then I lost it. It was right there. Here we go. So Herod asks what the odds on the kid, and, and this says three to one, which I know for a fact the other person, the person in the movie says trace to Uno. So I'm already doubting the validity of this script. However, gentlemen, remember, you must not draw until that clock, and I'm pointing to a, a fictional clock, makes the first chime of the hour. Hmm. So technically... They should all be shot and killed because they're all disqualified. Every, yeah, we, we wouldn't even have a movie. Everybody dies. Uh, yep, that's the end of the podcast, folks. Everybody dies. Hope you Everybody enjoy. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Except for Pat Hingle. He's the one that just kills everybody because he's the vengeful spirit. I said one time. <laughs> and, then, and then he becomes a, a, a commissioner. Uh, in Gotham City. I'm just saying. Gotham City. Oh, yeah. All right. 
So yeah, that that. <laughs> City Redemption, but uh, all right, we're just being silly. So they're they're a full minute ahead of of schedule in their prepping um, because we get to see that the clock strikes at at one till. And, you know, just throwing this out there, maybe Sharon Stone could take some notes on how the professionals handle things, because every time that she's getting ready to go to battle, it seems like she's coming through the bat wing doors and like going through the crowd with like five seconds to spare. Like, I'm just waiting for the time where she has to battle somebody and she doesn't make it out quite in time. So they just shoot into the crowd at her and, and end up winning somebody. But yeah, I did notice that. Um yeah, she's always just like they like close up on her face, and she's like looking slightly confused, like she just woke up or something. She literally did just wake up. She had a few too many drinks in the in the saloon. It's like, oh, what time is it? <laughs> it's time. It's Vader time. 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 So speaking of, of Stone, she, she looks around at the crowd of townspeople and uh, you see that a lot of them are actually praying. And for what, you, you may ask? Uh, we, get to, we get to see that it's a nod back to the um, when Sharon Stone was first getting to the hotel, she kicked open the one door that was kind of propped open and she sees Cantrell with a group of people. And that's all going to start to come to light as, as we go throughout this chapter of what exactly was going, going on there. Um, because we find that the townsfolk were, were actually paying Cantrell. That, that's what the lady holding the candle opera and everything was, was, um, he is, he is the hired hand that they had to, to take out Herod. Um, unfortunately for them, however, the clock does strike. It does not chime, but we do hear the click, click, boom. And uh, both men do simultaneously fire, and it is the closest draw that we, we see so far. Um, we see a red mist coming off of Cantrell as a, a sad violin starts to play. Um, and nothing gets me worse than a, than a sad violin. I don't, I don't like when violins are sad. Um, Cantrell's holding his stomach at the, the bullet wound, and he begins to fall down to his knees. And there's a noticeable silence over over the crowd, um, and there's there's actually a great shot uh, here. You know, speak, speaking of Ramy and his cinema cinema photographer. Ah, why do I keep using that word if I don't know how to say it? Cinema photographer. Hey, the picture guy, Sam Ramy and the picture guy. Um, they they pan around Hackman's head to get a great shot of of the crowd and everybody's reaction of what's going on. Oh yeah, and, do uh, revisiting the scene today. Uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I, that one struck me. I like that camera work. And I, I like mm -hmm. when it first starts out, that really long shot of them mm -hmm. standing there. And and then it's, and then when Gene Hackman shoots my dude Keith David, and that's <laughs> shot. Yeah, that's definitely uh, one of the greatest um, actors of all time. Um, that shot, too, where you see that, like, pinkish reddish mist when he gets mm -hmm. winged in the torso um and then and then just that camera kind of swing around gene hackman's head there's really excellent i i, I like that just like it's kind of it's subtle but it's it's 
it's brilliant in, in a way. I don't, I just, I really like that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would love to see another pairing of, of Sam Raimi and Dante Spinotti, the, the cinematographer, whatever that word is. Um, yes. And the cinnamon toast crunch guy. And, uh, so Herod claims that he's confused that if they had enough money to buy a gunfighter, perhaps he's not charging them uh, enough in taxes. And uh, I mean, what a great, um, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but what no, a great uh, monologue by Gene Hackman. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, just watch it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's so, it was so, he's just really good at just commanding the the screen and everybody's just like, you know, he's like, you could, you guys are all basically, you're just bitching about how my taxes are too much and all that, but you get, you can scrape them enough money to, to hire a professional gunfighter, um, in Cantrell. Yeah, absolutely. If, if there's ever any doubt that he was the heel, um, it, it's, it's alleviated with this. He, he has, a chokehold on on these townsfolk and you can you can see not just the 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 sorrow of the the plan not working but just like you can see the wheels turning in their heads of oh shit (laughs) what what do we do now because if we thought it was bad before oh shit (laughs) this this did not end well um as he pontificates, as you said, Cantrell does make his, his way back up to his knees. But before he can pull his gun, Hare does this great spin and shoots the pistol out, out of his hand. Um, and then just goes right back into his rant. And he's he's essentially proclaiming, like like you said, he's proclaiming himself God of the town. You know, he's the one that allows whoever to live and whoever to die. What's so nuts about when he does shoot his pistol, it's like he's got... It's like it's hung on his belt, and when he shoots it, it spins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's that's just a nice little flourish, a nice little touch there. Yeah, I'm I'm no gunfighter. I'm no gunsmith. I don't know what kind of rig uh, would cause that, but it, he used it to his advantage in the first fight to to be able to just draw from his hip. He just kind of you know wield it that way. Um, but to see that it's completely on the gimbal, that's that's a nice touch. <laughs> Is it just be, like he can just, it just uh, swivels at the hip? Like he doesn't have to bring it up out. He just. Mm-hmm. He just and shoot, from, shoot from the hip, yeah. Yeah, it just like spins up from, you know, being <clears throat> parallel with his legs. And he just goes up. <clears throat> Is that what that mechanism is? I, it, that's how I take it. Um, like I said that you, you don't see it in full effect when he first does the shot. He just kind of, you know, swings it at his hip. But seeing it spin from there, yeah, essentially it's it's just some sort of rig that keeps it there. Which you'd have to wonder if he ever does have to actually draw the gun. Um, what kind of drag and what kind of time that's going to take off of it? But uh, to be able to just kind of do it without clearing leather and all that, uh, maybe. I mean, I, again, I'm not a gunfire. Maybe that is. A, a faster way. I know when we see Russell uh, Russell Crowe um, do his drawing, his is essentially right there at the hip. He doesn't he doesn't actually draw it and, and pull it up like uh, Hackman and the rest of them do. It's just a, a shot from the hip. Or it could have just been for effect. 
Or it could just be a cool effect, and Sam Raimi thought it was cool. Yeah, that's that, that's that's true. That's fair. It is pretty fucking cool. <laughs> um, he uh, he continues his rant again, just uh, kind of proclaiming himself god of the of the town, and he spins again and shoots Cantrell right through the head. And by right through, I mean he creates a four inch hole uh, that we can actually see through. Um, and you can see Gene Hackman standing there yes. in uh, through the hole in his head. So I mean, if when I said that this was the ramiest Ramy to ever Ramy, that shot is is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, there's just enough gore, just enough viscera, um, but just the coolness of being able to see through the head, and as you said, seeing where the bullet came from. It came from Gene Hackman, right there. He's right there. You know. <laughs> Um, and, and it's, it's kind of a recurring motif throughout the movie. So we saw the sunlight going through the bullet hole in, in Sharon Stone's hat at the beginning of the movie with, with Tobin Bell. Um, and this is just kind of taking that up, up to 11 to, to, you know, go spinal, full spinal tap. Um, and, and it's interesting that we'll actually see the, the sunlight through the pinprick hole a couple more times throughout this movie, but, um, once he's gone full Raimi with this this viscera and this gore from this head, I don't know that he could one up it. So it's nice to go back down from there. But this is most definitely the the pinnacle in regards to Raimi in, in this movie. Yeah, that was definitely a a pretty much a shocking moment. Nobody's really expecting that, and for. Or more of a mainstream audience, I suppose. I noticed the, there was a, a lack of actual like splatter and all that, because mm-hmm. you know if you showed all that, it would definitely be um, um, <clears throat> the MPAA would would have something to say about that. Yes. But to also to kind of make it, uh, you know, more. Definitely a shocking scene. Definitely great. Um, and uh, oh, what, was, what am I? What am I even trying to get at? I mean, I guess the lack of of gore, as you would expect from like Sam Raimi, but this is more of a, a mainstream or an attempt mm-hmm. at a mainstream film. So you can't go with the excess of like the Evil Dead, um, right? Well, for people like us, like we're we're expecting that over the top, you know, buckets of blood and all that stuff because we've seen so much. But like, if you're just a if you're just a casual fan checking out this this western, you know, like this is pretty gruesome. You know, that's gnarly. It's still pretty gnarly because you're not really expecting that, um, for sure. And uh, I, I like too because he he falls kind of what's left on his face, and and we get the camera panning around Hackman once again. And it, I noticed that it's opposite the, the direction that he, he spun himself around to fire. And so it makes for this, this lot of movement. And of course, like that's, that's what Sammy, you know, Sam Raimi's known for. He's known for like his camera is never static. He doesn't keep the camera in one place for more than like two and a half seconds. So, by doing this this kind of cross-directional thing, he's just creating even more 
action, you know, even more movement and, and keeping things going with the, with the movie. It was just, it was just a nice little touch. Um, it keeps, yeah, his, his movies have a sense of movement. It, it keeps mm-hmm. it, they feel alive for sure. It's a thrill ride, if you will. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and, uh, Herod proclaims that the gunfighter is dead and that that's old news. Um, essentially just kind of putting the nail in the coffin for the townsfolk of like, we're going back to normal. This is my town. Get over it. Yeah. I love um, that. He's like, your gunfighter's dead. Old news. <laughs> walks back into the, into the tavern with his dudes behind him. And, and one thing I know, so I, I like the little strut that he does as he's walking back towards the house. Um, but did you also notice that he also struggles to put his gun back in his holster? Um, I, he, he tries like three times. He can't find the hole. And I just found it very cool. Like they, you know, like in a perfect world, they would redo that take. But to, to add that little level of humanity and, and keeping it in there, like was Gene Hackman's take on this just so awesome that they didn't dare try to redo it. Um, but it, it was just nice little touch. Like here's this guy, he, he's just blowhearted himself to God level. And yet walking away, he stumbles. Yeah. I think that and I was, as I was watching it, I was like, I, I was wondering if he really feels like, he's about to lose it like for real like he's because there's the subtle nuances in in gene hackman's you know face and and his um you know that monologue there Mm -hmm. i could see that there was still a little bit of like maybe he's just so upset and just about to lose it, you know, but he's mm-hmm. keeping his cool as best he can in front of all these people, you know, right? Because if he shows any overt weakness, you know, because he, you know, he, they, these, it's obviously these, these people are, are afraid of him, you know, because he rules the town with an iron fist. And I just think something about that performance in that scene, uh, kind of you know, kind of gives, gives away that he is on the verge of losing yep. it. There's, and there's a chink in that armor. Out in pure anger. Um, <clears throat> but he's trying to keep his cool as much as possible. Right. No, absolutely. I, I absolutely agree. It is a nice little character development. Let's be honest. I mean, he, he knew he could take Ace Hanlon. You know, I, I don't think he had any, any doubt in his mind that he could do it. He did that pretty cockily. And and uh, or penisy if you're if you're the if you're the Family Guy version, um, don't get penisy. Um, but you know, like I said at the beginning of the the chapter, like they drew simultaneously. Like until you saw the spurt of blood, I don't know that you could tell that he necessarily beat him by a mile. You know, so is he is he on edge of like oh crap we're getting later in this tournament and there's actually people that are close to being able to beat me. So yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that character development. He aimed for the, I think for the side that he, his gun was on. Mm-hmm. So he might've got him just that split second and, and winged him enough to where he veered off uh, his shot, you know, um, Cantrell's shot. 
mm-hmm. uh, may have ve- veered off. So he may, he may have just realized he got really lucky at that right. point and the nerves and everything uh, and the adrenaline and he's trying to keep it cool um, without freaking out completely. Right. right. Yep. And, and we'll definitely see in later chapters, spoilers, um, the continuation of that kind of deterioration and, and him actually showing nerves um, to the point that he even admits it to, to Russell Crowe later on, you know, that he's, he actually feels the, the adrenaline, which you know, maybe that's his kick, but uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I feel you on the whole breaking down a character. I think it's just a, a wonderful character development touch um, for, for this silly Sam we- Raimi Western that, you know, everybody just thinks is a comic book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of Ace, um, Ace uh, Hanlon, right? Mm-hmm. It turns out uh, Ace was really uh, a joker. Wow. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not going to be able to top that, so let's end our chapter. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that is the end of our chapter. So I wonder again what what kind is coming up. Uh, we will find out when we return for chapter 18, Scars versus Kid. Um, but until then, Shizmo, dude, every time that we get to meet up, I, I love being able to talk with you. I, I love being able to shoot the shit with you, um, but I especially love talking movies with you. So um, thank you very much for returning. Uh, what uh, what kind of stuff do you have on, on your uh, on your agenda? You got some some music, some other stuff going on? What's what's uh, what's going on in the Shizmo life? Um, nothing really um, much. Uh let me check my calendar because I know <laughs> I know I've got a couple concerts that I'm going to uh, uh, coming up, but um, I think uh, we 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 just uh, a couple weeks ago I played um, a show in Columbus uh, with my, my friend's band, uh, the Brad Allen Jones band. Shout out to them; they're a great blues band. Um, and they invited me along to do some acoustic um, to open up and then do a couple of short sets in between their sets because it was a four-hour gig that they'd booked. Oh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they, uh, if they whenever they get a, <clears throat> a gig by themselves, they'll, they'll uh, have me come along and, and do some acoustic stuff. So we did that nice. a couple of weeks ago as of this recording. And then last week... Um, we played a show with our friends from Columbus, uh, here in Lima, um, do that last, this past Friday. And that's always a fun time. Uh, Henotis from Columbus, great dudes, uh, always have a, a blast when they come through. Um, and as of now, we don't really have any, uh, any gigs, uh, lined up yet, but I know, um, I think we got a party in a couple of weeks to play and then there might be a, another birthday party the week after that, but nothing is set in stone yet. Nice. Well, you're, you're getting up into festival season. You're getting up into the, the springtime and summertime. I'm sure you'll get on those anytime that you're in the, the Lima area or as he's expounding into even the Columbus area, definitely check out Shizzy, um, his band, uh, murder cabin. Um, all the ones that we mentioned, uh, Headness and all those, those will be down in the show notes. Definitely check them out whenever you get a chance. 
Um, or just stop out to the firehouse. I'm sure you'll run into Shizzy there at some point. Um, but definitely, if you hear of those bands playing in your area, um, go check them out. I can personally attest that you're going to have a great time. Uh, there's going to be a lot of fun in regards to those. So, uh, Shizzy, once again, brother, thank you. Hopefully, we can have you on back for a, a later episode. We got, we're 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 past the halfway point. We're we're getting into the home stretch. The tournament's just starting to get uh, really interesting. So hopefully, we can get you back uh, here soon to to kind of finish those up. Um, but until we meet again, folks, um, if you haven't already, please, please, please check us out on our social medias. Uh, we are support your local podcast at Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, show ideas, things like that, uh, hit me up at sup, S U P P your local podcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, if you have not already, um, please, whatever podcatcher that you're listening to, um, go on their review system, hit that review, uh, give us the five stars. If it's not five stars, it doesn't really count for anything. So uh, if you hate the show, give me five stars. Tell me why you hate it. If you love the show, give me five stars and tell me why you love it. Anybody in between, just give me the five stars. So that's that's how we work those. Um, but as always, I love you guys. Uh, hopefully we'll talk again very, very soon. But always, always, always. Support your local podcast. Bye-bye.